Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. And this morning I'm going to share from the Apostle Paul where he articulates the absolute core of the gospel, the reality that is in the middle of it all, that is the direct consequence of the life and ministry, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he was actually contesting with what we have been told is the first first pope of the church, and that was Peter. So he and Peter went at it with one another over the reality of the grace of God. Hear the word of God as it comes to us from the second chapter of Galatians. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came, before certain men came from James, he ate with the Gentiles. But when they But when they came, I thought my eyesight had improved from my vacation. (laughs) And with him, the rest of the Jews acted insincerely, so that Barnabas was carried away in their insincerity. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves, who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet who know that the man is, that man is not justified by works of the law, but through the faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because the works of the law shall no one be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ we ourselves are found to be sinners, is Christ that then not an agent of sin? Well, certainly not. But if I build up those things which I tore down, then I prove myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if justification were through the law, then Christ died to no purpose." Word of the Lord. Now, the Apostle Paul, with this letter, is angry. He starts out by saying, Those who are preaching another gospel, if they're preaching another gospel, then they should be accursed. The Greek word is anathema. And in the context and the nuance of this phrase, It's as if Paul were saying, those who are preaching another gospel can go to a very bad place. 
And then he goes on to say, those who are telling Gentiles that in order to come into the faith they have to be circumcised, well, those guys, I wish that the knife would slip and they would emasculate themselves. It's in, in, in Galatians. Luther goes to great lengths to demonstrate what a powerful, central statement Galatians is. And he is declaring that anyone who preaches a false gospel not only gets him really riled up, the pathos of this letter is stunning, especially when you read it in a more modern translation that, that is able to capture that, that emotion that Paul uses. But he says, the gospel is so absolutely critical that if the law could save us, it would. The law was never intended to save us. Even if somebody lived a perfect life, the law doesn't save us. Christ and Christ alone. That is his core central message. And so he's angry that they're teaching that in order to come into the faith, you've got to do this and that and this and that. You have to do certain things in order to come into the faith. The reality is, as the Apostle Paul says, anyone who's preaching that stuff, well, I wish some very bad things would happen to them. It's false gospel. While I was gone, I happened to tune in on YouTube to a, a little, a little uh, lecture, about a 10-minute lecture from Warren Buffett. And he said something that I thought was really apropos. He said, don't sell, meaning your stocks or bonds or whatever, don't sell unless the business fundamentally changes. And I thought, that's the problem with the church, so much of the church today. The business has fundamentally changed for the church. They're not preaching the gospel. So many are simply taking on politics. And one of the primary consequences of the, the, the conflict between the fundamentalists and the modernists in the first half of the 20th century is it yielded an attitude that, that gave rise to what we have now in the mainline churches. Reinhold Niebuhr, writing 60-some years ago, 65 years ago, the Bible did not determine what was right and wrong in the secular modern, modern view. The secular modern view determined what is right and wrong in the Bible. And so this is, a, this is a, one of our great theologians out of Union Theological Seminary. We read him in seminary. But he says, the secular world judges the scriptures, not the scriptures, the world. And I thought, this is why I've had so much trouble in the church. Because the church has, has fallen headlong into the cultural narratives. Tim Keller writes this, the mainline denominations have come to concentrate almost completely on political causes rather than focusing on leading people to faith and then building them in their faith. Instead, the mainline churches identified themselves and therefore Christianity with particular political parties and social policies. The unique things that only the church could do had been abandoned, and things that were better done by liberal political parties were now the main job of the modern denominations. I 
And the Apostle Paul would say, this is not the gospel. These, these political agendas, that is not what the church is about. People don't come to church to hear from some amateur the, uh, my particular opinion on global warming or whatever it may be. It's not the work of the church. And the same is true on the other side of the, on, on the, other side of the divide. David French writes, the transformation of white evangelicalism to, into primary political movement is a cause for deep and profound concern. It's become a force that is helping fracture our nation and sicken its people. And its extreme elements had become instruments of cruelty, even violence. And I went online not long ago to listen to one of those pastors on that side of the divide. And I was shocked. I mean, the, the same reality is being mirrored on the right as well as on the left. And, and that is the preaching of politics. And I heard this preacher online saying, Pray against AOC. Pray against Nancy Pelosi. Pray against Chuck Schumer. What did Jesus say to do? Pray for your enemies. Pray for those that persecute you. You don't pray against people. We pray against the principalities and powers. We pray against policies and, and procedures. We pray for one another. We pray for people. We do what we can to make sure that we obliterate the enmity between ourselves and one another. We pray that all might know the love of Christ. And so the, the reality of the false gospel, false preaching, false realities of church life is everywhere. It's everywhere. So the Apostle Paul, if he were in our time, would probably be angry, angry at what he sees in the church. And yes, we live in an unprecedented era. And in many ways, we are ill-equipped for all that is being unfolded upon, uh, around us and upon us. As I said, up in in Upland, when I was there talking to these people who have been personally impacted by policies of the state, it, it, is, it is scary when it actually enters your backyard and you see somebody out there, or you're gone for a weekend and there's somebody who's taken over in your house. It's a little scary, but these are unprecedented times. There was an article in the, in the in New York Times not long ago that said, 2020 started out like 1974, with an impeachment. And then it became like 1918 with a pandemic, which led to a 1929 stock market crash, which transformed in 1968 with massive urban unrest. And then it went to a 19, 1876 viciously disputed election followed up with another 1974, a second impeachment, and then experienced a 1975, a lost war and a panicked evacuation. So you take all those huge events of the past and collapse them into the last few years. 
And that's if, even of the last couple years. And that's the context we find ourselves in. So is such a context as this, one to preach a false gospel, to declare ourselves to be on one side or the other in a polarized economic and political state? Or is this a time to, to drill down and to, to understand who is Lord of all? Who is the one who has saved not just us, but also those whom we, with whom we are in disagreement? That they are our neighbors as well as those whom we like. And Jesus reminds all of his disciples if we only like people who are like us or whom we like, we're no better than the Pharisees. We're called upon to bring love into the midst of it. Not too long ago, I, I buried one of my dear atheist friends, Bernie Turner. And Bernie used to love as a kid. He loved coming home after the Shabbat dinners and they'd all sit around the table, the all the men, all the women cooked in the kitchen and talked about the men and what deadbeats they were and all that sort of thing. And, um, <clears throat> but they would all sit around the table and argue and argue and argue. And it seemed so contentious, but they kept going until all that argument could come to a place where they agreed with one another. And even if that place that they agreed was only that one of their kids was doing such a great job in Little League, they came to that point where they would agree with one another. So the argument is fine. It's all, it's all grist for the mill. And we can all argue what's going on in our time as vehemently as, as anyone. But what is our aim? Is winning a win? Growing up as a kid, my dad and I would argue. Mom would get mad at us. But that was to us sort of intellectual development. Dad called it wrestling. And time after time after time, dad was the man. And he would come to me after just a few moments after we'd argued, and he'd say, Kurt, I love you. I love you. And we would always argue to that point, that central point of the Lordship of Christ. So we need to not even think about the advantages of winning in such a context as, as this. Because the only win, the only real win is when we can love one another through it all. In order to get there, we have to understand that we have a whole new identity. That our primary identity is that we belong to Christ. As the Apostle Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. And the I, all forms of identity, whatever that kind of identity may be, have been washed away in the waters of baptism. And who am, who am I? I am the Lord's. I belong to him. Our primary identity is of a Christian. 
After that, it's an American or member of that neighborhood association or whatever it may be. But all identities are subsumed under the sovereignty of our identity as Christians. And with that, we can't in our relationships with one another stop at some lesser identity. We always have to achieve that central identity of being crucified with Christ, defined by him, and living up to, as best we can, not as a way of getting saved, but living up to the standards of what it means to be a Christian. It's so fundamental. It's so foundational. And when it happens, we are given new eyes. Suddenly, as we really practice our identity as belonging to Christ, that other, well, we begin to all of a sudden be taken by the, the mystery of the other. We begin to see the magnificence and the beauty of the image of Christ in the other, even with whom we disagree. And those new eyes open us up to new perceptions and new ways of understanding our life and what it is that we're doing. So my daughter and her husband and the three boys live on a cul-de-sac. Now the cul-de-sac is a magical place. And <clears throat> second night I was there, they brought out this, um, I, I got them a, um, one of those blow-up movie screens goes to a 17-foot diameter. Well, they got out the movie screen and projector and um, put it out on the cul-de-sac. And when I went out, I was inside doing something, I don't know what, but when I went out, here were about 30 kids either sitting watching the movie or running around on the cul-de-sac, five dogs. And I asked, are there no leash laws in Bend? And of course, they said, yes, there are, but not here. And, and dogs are running around, kids are running around. There were a couple of dads. They had one of those small footballs and a glass of beer, and they were trying to play catch with one another without spilling their beer. <laughs> and it was just beautiful. I saw it, and I was so moved, so touched by the obvious love that occurred on the cul-de-sac. And a house just a couple doors down had three little girls, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, just like my grandsons. And the six of them together looked like they could all be siblings with one another. And, and little Luke, at two years old, is constantly wandering into their garage. And these girls are so cute and so beautiful. And I, and I just thought, this place is like very few places left on the planet. This is something like my grandparents grew up with, or my, I should say my dad grew up with, under the parenthood of, of his parents. Dad said their kids were always outside, always playing. They were, they were hardly ever inside. They were always outside with dogs and so on and so forth. And I thought, this is so beautiful. And then I went to sit on one of the chairs on the front porch just to look at it all and take it all in. And I looked over to my left, and here, amongst some small, short shrubs, 
of lavender, lavender, was this little girl just standing in the midst of the lavender. And she was probably four years old. That shock of blonde hair and blue eyes. And she was so beautiful. And I was immediately transfixed. And what struck me at that moment was, this is where the fairy tales come from. Beauty in the midst of what God has created. Beauty in the midst of nature. A little girl standing in the lavender. And that's what really matters. On the cul-de-sac is right next door a retired police officer. Two doors down is a firefighter in Bend. Very conservative. On the other side is, um, I don't know quite how to describe this, this couple because they have so many people coming and going through their home, but, but I would just say they're very liberal. And I would expect that the family with the three girls is pretty much like the family of my, my daughter and son-in-law, and that is that they're just trying to get by every single day, just dealing with all the chaos of having small children. But what I will say is that that cul-de-sac was like church. People loved each other. They cared for each other. They watched out for each other. And there was an embracing that evidenced the reality that even though they may not appropriate the reality of, of the faith in their own hearts and lives, there were enough there who did that they took on an identity that was honoring Christ because they loved one another. Despite all their differences, they cared for, watched out for, and loved one another. The Apostle John, when he was near his own passing, he was the one disciple that we believe did not die a martyr's death, those that we know. As he was brought into the service, they would carry him in on a pallet, and he would look to the left and the right and say to, to his congregants, love one another, love one another. As Christ has loved you, love one another. That's the central core of the gospel. We don't work our way. We don't earn our way. We are saved by grace through faith. The I is not what matters. Have been crucified with Christ is all that matters. So Father, we come to you as children. We can so identify with what it means to run around and play and have dogs coming up and licking us at inopportune times. Parents who get mad at us for no particular reason. But all the love that is contained in this life. Lord, may we learn to run and play, even in a time like this, that you in and through us would be glorified. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.